Welcome back to the Silver Creek Insights Podcast. I'm really happy to have today's guest on. He's a friend of mine from many years and continents ago, Giovanni Leone. Giovanni has been on the forefront of artificial intelligence since way before it was cool. And I remember when uh, cryptocurrency started taking off and I got interested around 2016, I had a lot of conversations with people who got me questioning what is finance, what is value, how does blockchain even work? And that was really helpful for me to navigate the upcoming trend of cryptocurrencies then. And I feel like we're in a similar time now where this new innovative artificial intelligence world is all around us. It's gonna, it is massive. It's only going to get bigger. So I'm really grateful that uh, Giovanni has decided to join us today. And I want to ask you those basic questions and then see where things go from there. Um, a little bit on your bio, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are uh, the head of strategy at Credo AI. You're a board member for the Nordic Artificial Intelligence Group. I forgot the, the full title there. And you've also been part of the World Economic Forum with regards to artificial intelligence as well. Yeah, that a- yeah. It's it's uh, it's uh, yes. You you got you got you got the you got, got the gist of it. Um, so I'm very happy to be here, Jack. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation, and I'm, I love to kind of deep dive to in the intersection of society, human, and technology, and then see where that leads. Um, as as you, as you said, I'm I'm a head of business um a business strategy and development at Credo AI. Um, I'm uh, engaged in and. Uh, as an, uh, an advisory board of ethical uh, AI governance group, I'm contributing to the as an ethical expert to the Nordic innovation work uh, and and many other things. Um, but, but part of the the board of Transparency International Sweden and all things that kind of comes in that intersection of okay, how how can we actively take conscious decisions uh, around business or business and data in a way that that we see that in the end, it both does good in terms of efficiency and productivity, but also that it impacts people in society in a positive way. Exciting. So let's start at the beginning. What drew you into artificial intelligence? What mm. got you to be obsessed with it and dedicate your career to it? Yeah. I- for me, I think it started off that I've been deep into business operations for like the start of my my, my career. I've been yeah. deep into kind of okay, how do you make better business? How do you like improve efficiency of products and and and, and processes and deliver better products and services? I've been all across many many sectors, everything from from SaaS to products to physical, online, and you name it. And and, and IKEA uh, headquarters where you and I were business analysts together. Yeah, and- exactly. That 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 was like that was halfway through the journey. So I spent another ten years outside of that, and then ten years within IKEA with 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 you um, as a part of that journey. When I realized that when you're that deep into business processes and you want to understand okay how to how to improve something or or drive good decision making. Data is what fuels that in the right direction. You can have a lot of gut feeling. Uh, I was brought up. Um, uh, uh, my 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 father had, was a restaurateur, so I kind of was part of that family business of serving and 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 delivering great value and good Italian food. So 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 I understood that kind of the value of of of, of delivering, but 
I realized when, when coming into larger scale, you need data. You need good data. You need good insights. And uh, as we we're both engaged uh, in, in working with global global analysis, global analytics at IKEA, it gave me an opportunity to go deeper. Like, how do you create analytical models that both paints the picture of reality in numbers and gives the essential insights to drive decision-making? And I think that's where I kind of I've gone deeper into that journey of seeing, okay, how can we make even, how can we have smarter descriptions, better decision-making, um, how can we work with uh, painting the picture of the world that we see, but also how can we have a good enough probability of decision-making going forward? Because in the end, decision-making is done. That doesn't change. What makes a difference is what do you have on the table when you're doing that? Uh, and you will always have the kind of the experience uh, you'll have the hunch, the gut feeling, but I think that to a high degree, we there's enormous potential for for analytics and data, uh, both supporting decision making and supporting just better products and services. Agree, and like it's that I think you and I kind of bonded over the desire to have work that really impacts people, right? Whether mm. it's whether it's at a restaurant or a giant company like Ikea that's doing, you know, however million Billy bookcases a year. Um, let's drill down, like with that example, right, of a big company like Ikea, how would AI accelerate the insights for a country manager? Yeah, and I, I think there's, that's, there's so much that can be done um, I, because Ikea is – is not only a, a retail operation store. So with a retail operation store, you need to kind of have efficiency in processes. You need to be able to understand the market. You need to understand, okay, what, what actually drives um, good delivery of products and services, the desires of the people that's in that market. So what AI does in that intersection is, in that kind of context, is that how do one understand the needs of customers so market intelligence, sales patterns, uh, movement, like how, how, what, how do you deliver an optimal service? Uh, how do you deliver an, an, uh, an, uh, when you're designing your kitchen? How can you in the best way provide the best options for an, an, a user experience? So there's so much that can be done to create a better experience. But IKEA is also a supply chain company to the degree that it's highly connected across the supply chain and the, the logistical interconnectivity to its to its. The, there are many many suppliers across the world, and there it becomes also an idea of how do you optimize supply chain, how do you optimize the the uh, the planning of products, and also further down the value chain, how do you create products that are desirable. How does one has both good enough insights, but also utilizing the right level of data to identify where can one improve the the the, the construction of product and the, uh, the the creation of a product? So there, because of its long value chain and its influence over every piece of it, there's so much opportunities to I would say on two angles, like understand the world better but also make things more efficient. So optimization of it 
So on, on those two notes. Okay, I still want to stick with this a bit because it's it's interesting as heck to me. Um, you've got the data, say, that's coming in from you know every store in Sweden. Let's just stick mm. there. Yep. You're the country manager. What kind of data would enable the AI to make intelligent decisions besides, okay, here's the sales. Let's stick mostly on sales. I guess there's some procurement mm. information that might be important. But then you're the country manager. Do you just type in like, well, how do I increase profits? And like, what decision, how does the AI have that intelligence? How do you manage the data to get it there so that it's just a big brain of Ikea? Yeah. So I, I would say there's a combination of, of, of a lot of data. It's, it's both the, the transactional information that is happening. Everything from, from, from sales to uh, how are products available, uh, what are the resources necessary to be able to sell those goods? Um, but also important aspects of how does, specifically, how does customers want to buy? And that can be seen through transactional data, but it's also as important to understand that customers not, al not always show what they want through putting things in their basket. Sometimes they do so in different ways of talking about it. Uh, about communicating around it, about possibly planning, but not executing. Um, it's also understanding that although IKEA has a high presence in Sweden as a country, there is so much of the world outside that is happening that one can be inspired from. So it's about painting the picture of uh, really, and I think that's where IKEA has been really good, is that understanding the life at home. Where, what do people want in their lives and how does home furnishing take a part of that over time? Um, and, and I think it's about understanding and painting that picture of people's lives in a way that it doesn't become intrusive. Because in the end, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, one, one needs to separate the intelligence of life at home is on one hand giving the necessary picture to be able to support indicators of like for instance do people want a certain type of furniture do they prefer a certain type of materials what are they how is the constitution of single people living in homes towards uh, multi uh, kind of that friends are are kind of uh, joining up to have a co-rental or larger families or smaller families uh, do they do they have their first kid at thirty or forty? Like there's so many things that play in the part of understanding the needs on an, on a, on a macro level, and that can also be drilled down to even smaller geographical districts. Uh, when I was in in Los Angeles and working on a project with uh, uh, one of the IKEA stores in in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and there were multiple IKEA stores uh, in Los Angeles. Each of the stores had its own geographical demographic and approach to sell the IKEA range, even while being in the same city. So, so because of that, there is such a local presence and local behavior that one needs to understand. So that's on one side. But what I think is even more important is also to understand reality happens. So how do you have good enough insights? So 
when you have deviations, so let's say a truck doesn't come or you're selling too much than plan or you're out of staff in a certain section, how do you have good enough data in real time to take active decisions? How do you prioritize? How do you actually meet reality as it happens? Because data is not really, it serves a good purpose of planning in, in, the, in the operational, tactical, uh, strategic uh, dimension. But even more is that how do you enable people to take active and relevant decisions when things diverge? When suddenly you realize that uh, even a competitor did an, a marketing ad for, uh, let's say, leather sofas. And suddenly that's the big thing. Or a very popular series on Netflix so like plays out an important scene in a leather sofa. kind of, And suddenly that's the rage. How do you act upon that in a way so you meet that, that black swan event uh, in a relevant way? And sometimes that means that if you have good enough data and, and have that presented in a relevant way, you can actually steer that boat in, 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 an, in an efficient way. And the interesting thing here is that this is what small entrepreneurs do every day. They have enough small scale to take these decisions because they have everything on their table and they can take those decisions. As soon as you scale uh, an operation to global, 100,000 or 250,000 like IKEA, what becomes different is not the principle that you need to act, but the, it becomes that you need data and data decision material to take optimal decision making. Scaling any company, the, the founder's biggest fear is delegation, right? That's the thing that keeps yeah. you up at night is that like, did I hire a manager who would make the exact same decision I would or hopefully yeah. the right decision? Okay. Yeah. And I think if we use data as sort of an impartial actor on that, it, it can happen. But it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like something has changed in the world um, where, you know, 10 years ago, we could get insights into how many leather sofas were flying off the shelves at the Sepulveda store of Ikea um, mm. compared to the Hollywood store or something like that in Sweden and have a sense of how that was going. But now they were just sort of numbers that would be a graph and a report that uh, would be shared with across the mm. matrix of manage managers in the company. But now it just changed with chat GPT. It's, it's like a different search engine or a different way of looking at data where you can have a conversation about what you're really looking for and set up these prompts. I, I'm uh, it, it's, it's mind boggling, kind of terrifying to me. Um, how do you see the situation changing going forward? Yeah, I, I think that what we're, what we're seeing is that we're taking leaps in 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 uh, in uh, going forward um being deep into data and, and working with uh, analysis analytics and 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 the, the the ai field for a while um it's been really hard to to make things make sense it's been really hard to be able to gear up the infrastructure and the processes and flows to get something relevant in front of people it's also been hard to gauge that that report or that graph actually entices the right decisions. 
and supports the necessary information. What have happened in the just a few years is that we've made large leaps uh, in being able to improve the efficiency of that process to the point where it's also become a revolution of user experience. So even someone uh, that is a complete uh, layman can take down an app and get the necessary information much more accessible. So we've shifted the kind of the inter like the, the goalposts of both effort, but also how much more accessible information have become. Uh, what is still left is that we still as humans need to ask the right questions. What is still important is that we as humans need to take often decisions uh, based on the information and material. Um, and what is still left is that we need to scrutinize what we're having in front of us. But what have shifted a lot is the effort necessary to get a relatively good uh, information and data in front of us. So we've, we've, it's gone quite fast and, and alleviated a lot. And I think that uh, in, in a way, it, what it has done is that I, I like the, the analogy that both the, the, the floor has raised, but also the opportunities of what we can do, the, the, the ceiling has raised also. Uh, because if we would have been talking five years ago, we wouldn't have thought that the accessibility to generated text, audio, and video would have been on the level of quality we see today. Uh, we Because today it's on a, such a level that anyone could prompt a video to the degree, like uh, like Sora, uh, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that is so good that it's indistinguishable from, from something that has been real. And when we've come to that level of quality, it opens up so many opportunities uh, of, of using it for good and, and for bad. Let's talk a bit about the for bad. Like, what, what are some of the ethical conundrums that you worry about and you see yeah. a role for perhaps governance stepping in? Yeah, I think that's, that's where kind of my, my at least my, my I'm, I'm where, where I've pivoted towards in the last couple of years. And I think that yeah. the reason why I kind of lean towards that is mainly because back in when I was to choose my path in, at uni, I was choosing like, should I go for business or philosophy? And I ended doing business and now I, I kind of have a flavor of, of the later also. Uh, so I, it, for me, it's just kind of combining two interests. Um, yeah. I think it's also when you've been deep into data and business for quite a while, you realize the power and influence you have when you're gearing up data and analytics and AI to and how you interpret it, how high influence you have as a person to make active choices. Both active choices how you design, but also active choices in what impact it has on business and people in society. So I, I believe that what it has been surging for a few years, mainly within the academic sector, but also slowly within public and... Uh... So academic and civil society has kind of had the focus on responsible use of tech for a while. Why it has surged uh, more in the, the, the private sector, public sector, and specifically policymakers, I would say that it's an 
a maturity journey. Like as you're starting to mature the use of a technology, you realize that the power it has and the influence one has on using, designing and using technology. And that's the reason why we see um, companies that are more progressive in terms of uh, looking upon impact on society, uh, impact from an ethical point of view. We see them being in the forefront of also broadening that to be part of technology and AI. So being ethical about AI, ethical in the use of AI. We see policymakers uh, taking active standpoints of saying that we need to, they, they see that the presence of AI in society is becoming so large. So one needs to also gear up the rules of the game for technology to follow the rules of the game that we have otherwise in society. So we see movements in the U.S. with the executive order. We have seen the G7 leaders uh, with, with the Hiroshima process, the AI safety summit in the U.K. Uh, um, we have seen the AI safety standard coming uh, being developed in the Australia, Singapore. But I would say the big behemoth is the EU, with then developing the regulation for the EU AI Act being becoming a reality now. They, they are in the final stages of... of uh, landing the regulation with its uh, plenary uh, vote uh, being uh, planned for beginning of April. And I think that sets the tone that it's not, it's not nice to have anymore, to have a uh, responsible and ethical approach to AI. It's a need to have to showcase that you're managing data and AI responsibly. So, yeah, I have... A lot of questions about that because um how do i put this i don't want to put it politely <laughs> I no no but be as blunt as you be as blunt as you can i think that's the best thing <laughs> i'm wearing my american flag t-shirt here and there's a reason that america has so many multi-billion dollar startups and europe makes it so that every time i open a website i have to click to accept cookies isn't there a chance that by sort of EU bureaucrats saying, here's a stack of laws for AI, that they're going to do a disservice to the industry in Europe, that it'll just mm. please come down here to Africa. It'll come, uh, it'll mm. go to the places where it's freest. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. I, uh, I've been being deep into these discussions for a couple of years now. Um, I, and I, I think the, 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 I think I would let's turn to the point of why does not AI project uh, AI be adopted to a higher degree? Why does AI projects fail? Why don't we have a higher presence of it? Um, and the main reason is people, not technology. So people need to trust technology. They need to understand and be informed. They need to see that it does the right thing and that they can invest in it and have confidence in it. If you, they need to know that it's trustworthy to use so it doesn't create hazard in terms of liability or brand risk. Um, for non-technologist executives, they need to understand that they can still steer it, although they are not um, a data scientist by, by trade. And when you look upon that people dimension and understand that 80 to 90% of AI projects have failed because not of technology, sometimes data quality, but mainly because 
it hasn't been adopted into organizations led by people. So what this regulation does is that it sets the rule of the game of raising the bar of understanding how what data you're using, what the model is doing, the contextual use of it, and it forces organizations using AI to be much more aware and proactive in gearing it up so it becomes something one can have confidence and trust in. And that will actually enable adoption. That will make it uh, more predictable. It will set the rules of the game of the supply chain of AI to the great degree that even though it's a bit more uh, kind of challenging with a bit of with a with the bureaucracy around it, it is no different than any other supply chain. If you look upon a food supply chain, I want to trust the food I buy from my grocery store. And why I can trust that is because I trust the store that I'm buying it from. And why do I trust the store? Because the store has created the rules of the game to trust the vendor they're being supplied from. And the vendor can sell their goods but because they're fulfilling certain standards and regulations. And they're sustaining that level of quality of the produce. And I think we just need to walk that same journey with the data and AI supply chain. So I believe that although there will, of course, be actors that will be moving out of that one third of GDP, global GDP market that Europe is. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say rather that one would see that as that that's the level of how the hygiene factor to delivering a part of this market. And I believe that long term, it will build a necessary trust to adopt AI at scale. Yeah, I could see that, I suppose. So it, is some of the way it is scary, the data that can be used and for what purpose, right? You're saying mm -hmm. if, I don't know, if I'm chatting near my phone about, hey, I kind of like brown leather couches. And then mm -hmm. that data somehow makes it so that I'm being advertised brown leather couches. Um, yep. Is that the sort of restraints on like what information is consensually handed over versus what is mined? Yeah, and I, I think this is a bigger question of that we we have... Um, I think I, I, I like the analogy that we've had 18 years of very exciting childhood and teenage years. We've had a wild time mm. testing out tools and toys. Um, but now we're moving out. We're, we're getting our own place. We need to take responsibility for what we're doing and be fully accountable for our actions. I think that will touch all parts of technology, uh, not only specific kind of a narrow talk about AI, but the use of technology and information as a whole. I think we have uh, many ways because of the lack of regulation or steering, the technology and data have been used at a quite a kind of creative way, to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah. I believe also that we have used it in a crude way. Uh, many ways who, uh, there is great options and alternatives where I can get a really great product and service for what I need, but I don't need to voluntarily or involuntarily share my personal data to a marketplace to make that happen. And I think we've, we've geared it up in a certain way because it's been quite easy because 
you I can connect. Then this comes back. If I can have a unique identifier as a person, like Giovanni or Jack, and then I can can I can clothe that persona, that unique identifier with a lot of data, and then that becomes a, pro- a data product that can be sold. Um, so that's been the easy way of doing it, and that has been kind of the, the norm over the past 20 years. We're going into, that's the interesting thing with ex- the, the acceleration of AI as a field, is that we can actually move away from that. We can still have great products and services, but we don't need to create to have that fundament of a unique identifier that is enriched with data, but we can go smarter ways. And there is everything from having decentralized solutions to uh, to actually having more smarter user interfaces where you as a user actively make choices towards do I want to be an like anonymous person in this store, whether that being a physical or, or digital, do I want to be left alone or do I want to have that hyper-personalized experience and I'm willing to share information because I know I can trust the party that I'm giving it to because I know that they have trusted, they have said to me that the information you give to us, we will keep it and we'll manage it in a responsible way and we'll not sell it to another party. So there's many ways where I think we are developing how we even look upon data uh, in, in this current space. I got that. That makes sense. Like the, like any new tool, it can be used for, for good or for bad. And one of the things that I find myself stressing about, um, it, it's not just like, like the generation above us but ourselves as well could very easily be tricked by artificial intelligence sora deep fakes but all sorts of different ways of doing a a deep fake of our voice our image and um tricking people you can i've i've heard that uh you can make fake ids that are good enough to get past some cryptocurrency sites you know when you show your id if you need to re-log into your bank account or whatever I, I just don't understand how digital securities, human elements or or even computer elements are going to survive this. It makes me want to get like uh-huh. everything under lock and key so that it can't be uh, digitally stolen away. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. I, a couple of years ago, I, I, I um, when even before it kind of, the what we see today as a transformers part of of uh, the impact on on generative ai um i had a really great discussion uh, at a university on, on the topic of um uh, adversarial uh generative adversarial networks so and, and the, the main discussion here was that we're on a race towards a very scary bottom in a way where it's the part it's the it's the entity with the most resources to develop and identify something that has been generated that in the end will be the one that controls truth and this is a kind of where it becomes then as you say challenging is that we'll always have one step down this rabbit hole where where our 
uh, impression of reality, whether that is text or audio or video, will at any given time uh, will at any given time be even better fabricated, even better generated. We've already lost track uh, from our naked eye if we can foresee if it's real or not. The previously the uncanny valley feeling was usually detected at quite early stage. Uh, we could see that they were speaking away or talking away or having an intonation that felt mechanic uh, and uncanny. But we're losing that now. It's happening as we speak. And I think that will go even farther in terms of having uh, technologies identifying if it's real or not. And what is interesting here is that we'll go towards an, uh, a point where most probably we as a society, and I believe this year will be a kind of an, a big movement towards what is truth because of 2 billion people going towards election, we'll see tampering of elections, most probably, happening uh, throughout this, uh, this year. Uh, and it will be a race of the discussion of how do we safeguard truth? How do we create trusted parties that are transparent in how they're using or not using generated data? How can we, in the best way, create an, a protection of information and truth? And how can we differentiate between what we seek for truthful information and what is more entertainment? And to be able to be very, very clear when we're using either of those. Um, and also, how can we invest even more money to create trusted standards and systems to see that is this truthful or not. So I think it is for malicious use, we're actually having a quite active race towards the bottom. But I think that in, I think we one can't win that by just trying to make something smarter or <laughs> from a technology. I think we need to, to bring in, okay, how do we train ourselves to be more critical? How do we create standards? How do we talk about this topic? Where do we talk about whom to seek truthful information from? So I think it's a quite principle movement we're in, and I think we'll be waking up to that discussion even more throughout the year. Fascinating. Like, it, it is so philosophical, as you were saying. Mm. You know, the, the oldest questions in, I don't know, Socrates and Plato is, what is truth? And now mm. we're kind of facing that again at this, not again, it's been a continuous question for all of humanity, but it's, is this for entertainment? Is this for information for decision-making? And those lines are so blurred and power-hungry actors have every incentive to keep blurring them and confusing people and keeping them in the cave, so to speak. Um, yeah, and this year being, I believe, there's never been more elections on Earth. Did you say two billion people are? Yeah, they're the voting somewhere around the world. And I think that's when, when you understand that that is happening and there is so many interests to influence that. I think that will be that will be important for us to be conscious of. But I think we'll come out of this year with a call for even greater um support and steering uh, to be able to kind of safeguard uh, the values we hold dear, whether that is democracy uh, or human rights or just kind of truth, it will be a call for that. 
Um, and I think that's that's a healthy <laughs> reaction um, sure. because because we we need to this technology will not slow down its pace of adoption and use and and smartness. It's more about us gearing up to uh, a, a new way of interacting with information going forward. Um, yeah, I, when people are so easily deceived by AI, right, or just regular I, information, we're all very mm. trickable. And it makes the concept of democracy somewhat, um, how do I put this? Like, is democracy a good form of government if you can convince the people of anything? You know, if the power hungry can, I don't, I would say no. And that is scary because it's the best option we have. Other than that, we need to have like a ruler, um, a kingdom or an AI overlord, who knows how the decision making would be made. But if, if we can manipulate people with this super AI, I mean, it's it's uh, scary, I guess. This it is, and I, it is, and I think we 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 should be uh, have a healthy dose of, of of fear in this context because that will help us be vigilant. I I, I truly believe also there is lays our huge responsibility on the the people that we have voted into power uh, and how they are to manage uh the the delegated uh, power they have and they that they are representing and how do they support um the shaping of a society where we can still have the rules of the game that we've developed over over millennia um that it does it doesn't become disregarded and i think that's the reason why when 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 many talk about the that Regulation is yes, bureaucracy. I usually take one step back and say that it's it's not really about the details of compliance. That's not what is important here. What is important is that that policymakers are actively trying to steer the reference of good and, and to see okay, how can we as a society move towards a direction that it upholds the values that have been developed over millennia or centuries so i think it's kind of seeing it that's the active role of decision making then of course there's a bureaucratic pro, kind of element to it but i think it's even more important that we kind of try to steer society as a whole towards a direction that we 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 have on uh, how we want the society to to function nice all right well, I have one more square, scary question, but then I want to talk about like the beautiful future that AI can bring us. Yeah. But what what scares? What does Sam Altman need with seven trillion dollars? What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> no, I, so I would say that that I think there is there is a mechanics in 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 wanting to take advantage of interest, and as as interests have been channeled towards OpenAI, I could imagine there's there's a lot of exciting thoughts and ideas of what to do uh, with this interest that has been uh, been kind of racing since the, the launch of ChatGPT. And I would imagine there there's there's a lot of 
exciting technology development within AI that is still on the bucket list and on, on the kind of backlog of wanting to develop. Um, having a smart interface uh, with ChatGPT is just a starting point. So I mean, I, I would imagine that there is a high appetite to take it many steps further to make it both more more advanced in, in terms of solutions, but going beyond that and not only kind of restraining it to to a, a chat window, but actually embedding it in everything from other software solutions or creating smart solutions in in physical products that that makes sense. So I think there's there's many things that it kind of is on that kind of backlog. Mm-hmm. So I, and I think that, that anyone that has caught that attention will try to capitalize on it. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, there seems to be a little connectivity issue. No, you come, you come through in a, in a good way, in a clear way. Okay, um, well, if you and I were to found an artificial intelligence company, and mm. I was able to raise eight trillion dollars with it, yeah, fifty-fifty. Um, I'll take. You can yeah. even have fifty-one. I'll take forty-nine. Um, yes. of the eight trillion dollars. What do we build to make the world a better place with all those resources and uh, AI? What What's uh, the vision you, you see? I I have a very simple answer to that, uh, and that is. If, if all, all restrictions set aside, we could use AI to optimize that the waste we have in the world would be distributed to those in need, period. So we're wasting resources today. We're wasting energy. We're wasting food. We're wasting uh, capital resources. We are not taking care of everything that is being produced and it's unevenly allocated across the world and across people in need. If we would allocate it in a smarter way, we would not, no one would lose out and people would actually win of it. The challenge of doing so is an development of a smart enough model, incentives to do so, and to focus resources to make it happen, uh, but also to cut through existing political restrictions there are uh, constructed for it. So I would say that that reallocation of resources that are wasted, so of no yeah. gain, so, but just wasted, would be uh, one of the more exciting projects that I would want to kind of uh, put effort to. That sounds amazing. Like we ending poverty creating widespread abundance for all, right? You think that? Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and exactly. Yeah, yeah, we, without a doubt. And I think that's the key thing here is that the, there, there's, there's enough cake for everyone. <laughs> that's, that's the thing here is that. And, and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's more about kind of how would we go about to, to actively uh, support that reallocation so one, one way AI would do it to support the allocation of it and optimization, but it also needs to be powered by incentives from, from an economical and political point of view uh, to be able to, to use that in the best way possible. But I think we can use smart, smart analytics and AI solutions to do that 
even more. It's exciting. Um, well, I'm going to talk to my network about getting that $8 trillion together so that we can end poverty around the world. Mm. Constant abundance. I mean, one of the things that I've realized, like I've, I've spent the last 10 years sort of working in the space to get food resources to people in Africa, uh, throughout East Africa. And I've realized that like their scarcity is such a myth in some ways, or it's often man-made and constructed that nature is terribly abundant. Like when it comes to just seeds from a tomato. Could you, uh, I think I lost your audio there for just a brief moment. Could you take the, the last part again? No worries. Yeah, I was, I was saying it does seem possible to me that with super intelligent computing, the abundance of the world gets to the people who need it better, creating greater prosperity and life on earth. Um, the terrifying side of that is if we destroy the world in the process. I've heard... The worst thing AI could do is interpret all laws, like actually read all the laws on the books and then implement them because like <laughs> everybody would go to jail for not filing their forms properly and, and so on. So you do need this human component at a, in, in, in enacting things. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, the main thing that, that we are, I would say is that the big, big topic going forward is how do we how do how do we it's not only about a matter of technology and, and the implementation of technology how do we how do we define the new interfaces and how we would want to live our life augmented by smart technology it's about really it's it's no longer a, a hammer that you use but it's an embedded part of how you live life uh, how we have we'll have to a higher degree i think the surge of Virtual assistants and agents will be coming more and more present throughout this year. Um, and I think we, our new interface with technology and how we live our lives will becoming more and more kind of redefined. And when we redefine that, a part of that bigger picture as we're redefining our intersection with technology is that how do we want to live our lives? What are the kind of the, 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 the society we want to have? And I think a great part of that is that how can we also uh, redefine what we think is important in life. So if we think that certain tasks can be automated, where should we channel resources to instead? Uh, and I would say that hopefully in the same way that their technology will enable a lot of great things, it will hopefully also put higher focus where we as humans are critical and where it's important with the human interaction between people. Um, well, Giovanni, it's, um, I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg here. I appreciate you being sort of our AI guy at Silver Creek Insights. I hope we can talk more about this. Um, I see you speaking at AI conferences all around the world all the time. How do people follow you? So, 
so they follow me and I like uh, I would say that the easiest one is is uh, kind of the the usual suspect of the the LinkedIn network uh but uh, I would say that uh in, in essence of that I think that I think that I've been fortunate enough to land into many contexts of being having that discussion around the intersection of 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 uh, of, uh, of uh, business people and and uh, values, and I think that's kind of where where uh, I've been fortunate enough to like being able to to both uh, end up in in conversations. Uh, in in less public spaces and also end up in these conferences and to be able to talk about a topic because I think there is an there's an increased need of understanding okay how how do we how do we not only in a philosophical way or academic way or theoretical way talk about the intersection uh, between values people or uh, technology and data and business um, how do we do that in practice and what does that entail in the way we gear up, the way we design things um, within organizations? But uh, what does that entail in terms of how do we create an uh, an understanding and competence around it? Because we're we haven't been trained in this. <laughs> we have, we have we have silos of 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 training uh, and it's a fairly new field uh, also uh within enterprises so it's just we're just in the starting starting phase of kind of having these topic of of discussion yeah your your metaphor of it being 18 years old now i can't decide if that makes me feel it's mature or terrifying <laughs> like, nah, we're just we're just get we're just no 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 we're just trouble <laughs> We're yet, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, it's great to see you, and um, I think we'll Likewise. be chatting a lot more. We'll do so. Thanks a lot, Jack. It's been really, really great to have this conversation, and let's uh, keep in touch. Cheers. All righty, I've stopped the recording. Are you still there? Yeah. 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 Cool. That was interesting. That